1: Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show.
2: Are we live or is it Memorex?
1: <laughs> we, we are live. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. You have Cameron Ivey here, and alongside me is Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing today, man? Happy Friday, bro! Happy Friday. How you feeling? It is Friday, our, our favorite
2: day to record. What are you and sipping on? Just us what, what are you sipping on out of a straw? What is that? A, a, an apple uh, juice? What is? That? I don't want to give them any any. No, uh, we don't have to. We don't have to plug company names. Uh, just a protein. It's just a protein shake. It's just like Cam's just sitting here with his with his big evil evil beard and and, and <laughs> mustachio. It's a mustachio, by the way. What's it curls? It is mustachio. Yeah. yeah, sip it on.
1: I'm afraid company. to shave the beard, but I, if I do, I'm keeping the mustache. Keep the mustache You have and then to. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start dressing like I'm from the 1920s. Look, I am I personally
2: to. going to buy you some beeswax to keep that thing just like <laughs> on point. But anyway, we have someone with us today who, who I'm certain wants nothing to do with our mustachios. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we, we have uh, Darren Gallup. He's the founder and CEO at Carbide. Did I say that right? You did. You got it. Awesome. So, Thanks for being here. Yeah. Welcome Thanks to the for show. having welcome me. Yeah.
2: Look, Darren, I promise you, uh, as we do with all of our guests, um, we start the show by from one, one just very straightforward question. Tell us about yourself.
0: Well, uh, Darren Gallup, I'm, as you guys said, CEO of a cybersecurity and data privacy company, Carbide. Um, but I, I wasn't always in this field. In fact, um, I spent most of my life in the music industry. So uh, in my early 20s through to you know, late 20s, I was a performer in a variety of different bands. that toured mostly in Canada, but a little bit in the States and Europe. And then after uh, getting tired of being on the road, I made the transition to the studio. I I really enjoyed my time working with groups in the studio, started doing, uh, you know, learned a lot about audio engineering, started engineering uh, for small local bands, um, started producing, ended up starting a record label, um, which was an EMI Canada affiliate label, and uh, did that until about 2008. Um, So, you know, if somebody had a... God, you know, go back at a time machine and ask me then if, if I was ever, you know, my plans for cybersecurity and data privacy, I probably would, would have been very perplexed about what you were talking about <laughs> back then. And so um, I started my first tech company, um, leaving music, uh, you know, record labels in 2000, like around the, you know, the Napster days uh, were, were full underway mm-hmm. and the decline of the traditional record Label concept was happening, and then we rolled into a big economic downturn in 2007, 2008. So the record label business was uh, really tough. And um, I was, you know, I was an early adopter of technology, was always, you know, always had things very early and was always really exploring things that were on the front of of technology. Uh, Started using Basecamp. I don't know if you guys remember that 37 Signals Basecamp. David Heineminer Hansen, guy that invented rails. So I was using that to manage my record label back when you know clouds you know cloud software. I don't think we were using the word cloud at the time. Um, Certainly not. No. So uh, you know got into uh, got into software and had this idea of building a, a tool to man help artists and and, uh, and and labels and managers manage their touring uh, roster of artists. And so I started a company called Marcado. Um, learned really quickly that, uh, musicians are, you know, you want customers that have money. Um, so, you know, um, we, we, it was a tough go. I know that, uh, problem. I know that yeah. problem. I know that problem well. <laughs> it's really, you know, you want customers. It's like learning experience there, but, you know, customers that are
1: broke are, are tough customers, right? So yeah, you can't, you um, can't just live off of uh, free tickets to their shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. Right. So, um, we
0: did. We did end up making. Uh, you know, we made a pivot for. Uh, you know, in, in efforts to make the business work, we had a pivot towards music festivals, and we're basically sitting there thinking, like, okay, well, what other industries or businesses have concerts? Because all of our all of our toolage that we had built was around like organizing a concert and sound and sound checks and all the technicalities and data you need for that. And so we, we made a pivot towards music festivals and that worked out really well for us. We started with a bunch of small, uh, small town festivals in and around uh, Eastern Canada where I had a lot of relationships. And then that ended up, you know, in a couple of years, we were by 2014, we were doing Coachella and then we were doing Bonnaroo oh, and cool. then we were doing Burning Man. And we were, we started, you know, going you know, doing festivals in Australia and in the Netherlands and Germany and France and Spain. And so we were, you know, by 2015, 2016, we were in over 20 countries. Um, So that was a really, you know, really interesting story. And that's, that's when, that's where I discovered privacy. All of a sudden we were, you know, really building out our feature set, uh, starting to bring on some bigger festivals that had corporate, you know, corporate corporate ownership and more sophisticated demands in terms of, data security, uh, data privacy. Um, it was more data security then because data privacy, I, I think GDPR was the, the, the moment of awakening where people started, uh, you know, really going, Oh damn, we got to deal with this privacy stuff. We can't just wild, wild west our way through, uh, you know, how we treat data that we collect. So, uh, you know, we, we went through the process of, of, Having to build a security program, and you know, I think like a lot of startups still today, unfortunately, we just had a lot of naivety. We our our priorities were were um, make money, keep customers happy. So, um, you know, when you're building a startup, your biggest risk is probably running out of money before you get to cash flow positive or, or meet the requirements of raising your next uh, round of capital. So. You know we really didn't give much thought. There was no such thing in our business as security and privacy by design. I mean, by default, we made some good decisions, but by default, we also made some not so good decisions. So, you know, getting into security for me was actually we were about to sign a deal that would have made us the biggest player in the UK. And the deal was done like from the purchasing department um, that that was that was going to be buying the software. They had made the decision. It was not like there was no other players in the game in their mind. We were the selection, and, and then their corporate department had a vendor security assessment process that they put us through, and we did a really, really crap job uh, at, at going through that. We just really didn't have mm. we didn't we didn't have the sophistication of a security program in place, um, and you know time was of the essence. Um, we didn't have enough time. You know, festivals happen, like festival season for us was always like selling before it's planning time. And that really small window between festival over and, you know, starting to get going uh, in building the next festival. And and we lost the deal and it, it would have increased our ARR by over 10%. So it was a really, it was a really, really tough hit that... Um, had us having big conversations about how did we lose this deal and what is it going to take to never happen, ha- let that happen again. And of course, you know, in our minds, we were still like, okay, let's let's buckle down, let's let's really get our security in, in, together, and and we'll be able to go back at that deal, um, you know, the, the next cycle in, in say you know eight, nine, ten months. The reality at the end of the day was, uh, we just we just lost. We didn't do. We did poor enough in it, and it wasn't just what our security posture was, but it was our our, our downplaying of it, the way we kind of tried to navigate getting the deal with a very sales sort of focused mindset. Um, we lost the deal. They were not interested in talking with us again because we essentially lost their confidence as a as a vendor. So, you know, um, we ended up spending I'd say the next two years, um, and it was a big. It was primarily a, a project that I led, which was a combination of learning and doing so um you know i took some courses online i you know joined a couple of different organizations uh you know looked at some standards and benchmark things and just really went down the rabbit hole i had a my brother was doing my brother at the time actually had a fairly senior cybersecurity role for uh, for uh, the police uh, in canada, canada federal police so uh, you know had had some family members that had some knowledge and were able to point me in some directions for resources and you know, over the next two years, we, we effectively built a, a very uh, strong security program. Um, but what made it really hard was that we, you know, we didn't do it by design. So we had to undo bad decisions and, and refactor the way we did things, even programmatically in terms of the code and, and how the software was architected. And then, of course, just when I thought I had it all under control, then, you know, the GDPR... Uh, and that the giant media driven fear factory of like, you know, every cybersecurity company and legal firm and, you know, like every fear, like, oh my God, GDPR, we, we got 12 months and nobody really understood what a lot of it meant. And, you know, so then, you know, my last year at the company, before we sold the company was, was going down that rabbit hole. Okay, what's privacy? What's GDPR? And, you know, really going through working with legal counsel, working with third parties and then bringing the company because, you know, we had a bunch of, European um customers and of course they're all you know sending your sales team messages about GDPR you're going to be ready for GDPR so um yeah so that's kind of how I got into it. it it was it was like kind of one of those things where you know you don't know what you're going to discover on a journey it was certainly not a path I thought I would get into but what I found was after having spent you know 3 years between security and privacy I really started to gravitate towards it and 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 like it like it was uh you know I was getting a little tired of music I was kind of encroaching on 10 years in the music industry and I was, you know, thinking about, you know, in my mind, the back of my mind, looking for my next journey. And it was, it was nerdy enough, but like also human enough that I think it kind of like it, it it had the right combination of things. And I just started doing, learning more, reading more, taking more courses. And I did the the, the CISSP and then I did a a privacy certification with the, you know, the CIPM certification and, you know, and, and the whole, the whole, yeah, CIPP. Uh, or, or, and, and, you know, I think like for me, as I was exploring a new venture and, and exploring selling that company and, and, and changing, I was like, wow, every company in the world is going to have to have a fairly sophisticated security program and privacy program. And 90% of them don't even know it yet. Like, wow, this is like, I mean, on the ground floor, right? Like, You know, at least that's how I felt. So it it was just a real obvious transition and next venture for me. And that's, you know, really the the fast track life story. How did I go from playing drums and and percussion and and mixing and producing records and music to, um, you know, being the CEO of 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 a data security or data privacy company? Wow.
2: I have a lot of questions, as I'm certain anyone who knows your life story has, and 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 that was the abridged version for our listeners. Thank you very much for that. That was, I they, I we had learned about your audio engineering experience, and and I can tell our listeners, Darren severely downplayed <laughs> his audio engineering experience, severely downplayed it. <laughs> but I do have that. I mean, but my most burning question is genuinely the following, because um, I happen to be both a security guy and a product guy, what did you build and what problem did you solve? Because you, you went through a journey of, of like a bunch of, you, you, went, you went through maybe what doesn't look like a maze, but you went down a bunch of hallways and you kept hitting these ends and you come back out these hallways and you go back down long hallways and you kept going there and somehow that journey led you to building something to solve a privacy and security problem. What was that? What's that thing? Yeah. So, you
0: know, we really looked at the small to medium-sized companies, all those companies that when I had the initial idea, I'm like, well, these people don't even know they have this problem yet and it's coming and they're going to discover it. Unfortunately, like I did by customers not necessarily feeling confident trusting them uh, with their data. And so the challenge in the small business, as I'm sure you guys know, is like, you don't have cybersecurity or data privacy expertise in the business, and you're generally in—you know—especially in startups, which is you know, good—a good chunk, probably eighty-five percent of our customer base. Um, you're you're always under resourced, right? You're always you're always making really big promises, and you've got investors that are predominantly—you know—they want to see you spend money on things like marketing and sales and you know product dev, right? So. You're always struggling to find the resources. And then, of course, when the whole entire world and every business kind of goes through this wakening process, which is, I think, what has happened over the last couple of years. Um, you know, and I think you know, GDPR and other privacy regulations, as well as third-party, um, you know, third-party vendor management uh, processes from enterprises really driven this. I think that what happens when you go, you know, I, I always knew when this happened is like, okay, well, so is everybody going to now go hire a CISO? Like, and then, okay, well, where are those people magically going to appear from? And, you know it was it was really like how do how do companies do this and and for me it was reflecting on our experience like i took an interest in it and my business was at a level of maturity where i was you know starting to think about hey okay the business works now i'm not like i don't have to work 65 75 hours a week for this business to work it's a profitable business uh, what do I do with my time? So it was a really good timing for this problem to land on my lap. I had an interest, I, you know, I found the topic interesting. And I was always looking like, what do I do now? Like I've already built the product, everything, I got people, everything's working well. Like what the hell's my job going to be now as a CEO? And so, you know, I took that interest and did that, but that's not going to be the case for most, most startups, most small, even sized companies, right? Both on the interest side and the time. Right. So just thought a lot about like, what would have made this better for me? Where did I waste a lot of time? Right. And and so the solution you know the, the, the solution we build is a combination of things. It's it's first of all you know we call it security and data data privacy management, and it's and it's tools that can help you um, figure out like what do you need to comply with, and then what does that mean like starting from a governance perspective. So you know establishing both security and data privacy controls in your business that are appropriate for your business, and then we have you know document compiler tool that will build security policies, provide guidance in, in process and procedure um you know that's that's really the high level and then really engagement with humans right and 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 this is the thing big part like i i believe like you know sometimes people like, like they think about data security or data privacy like you know it's a legal issue or it's an IT issue it's like yes it is a legal and an IT issue but it's also a a a, a human like it's it's everything in your business and if you think about it exclusively through a legal lens for privacy and an IT lens through data security you're not really going to have a secure company if that's how you, if that's, if that's where you, if you put it all in there, you're going to have a piece of the pie, but there's a big, broad open door. It's like, you know, all the front of your house bears on the windows, lights, cameras, doors are locked back door. Big huge hole in the back of the house. You just walk in, take all your stuff, right? So, so you know, we we built a tool, but we also built a lot of educational content around it. And we we thought about it like, and I think where we looked at the space and thought, well, you don't just need a tool; you need people. So we built a tool. We built processes. We built, built procedures. We recruited talent. We train and upskill talent. We find people that are interested and poised to be strong in cybersecurity and data privacy. We give them mentorship guidance. We build a team so when our customers come to us we know they don't have a huge budget we know they probably don't have great toolage when it comes to security or privacy and they don't have the skills um, so we've really kind of combined that all together to help them. And, and the philosophy has always been like, you know, think about your business. If you have a sales problem in your business, you're not going to be like, okay, let's, we need to buy Salesforce. It's like, no, you're going to go get a VP of sales. You're going to go get a consultant to help kind of decode where the issues are. You're going to get expertise. And that, and part of that expertise is going to leverage technology to create efficiency. But, um, what we're not into is this concept and, you know, I'm not going to talk about any vendors particularly, but there's a lot of snake oil out there. And, you know, as, as a new, I call myself still a bit of a newbie to cybersecurity and data privacy, because I've only been really in the space for about five or six years. And there's a lot of like, put your security on autopilot. It's like time out, right? Time out. (laughs) What do you mean autopilot? Right? Like you know, it's, you can't put it on autopilot. You can put tools in place to create efficiencies.
2: You just need more AI zero trust, and then you can do it. What are you talking about? Like, absolutely. <laughs> well, that that I, I hope you're
0: joking, but um, I think you're joking. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Like, there's tools. Okay, good, good. That. I was like, uh oh, I'm on the wrong podcast here. These guys are. This isn't even. This isn't even going to air. No. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and it's you know
2: like right to be seen alongside Gabe Gums. You wouldn't be the first one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think I think we're a little bit like, you know, we're not a standard startup like all hundred percent product. Product is a huge part of what we do, but so is the human component to it. And you know, our our team works with our customers and we leverage the tool in a bi-directional way. In other words, our customers use the tool, but we're in the tool as well. Um, And that's, you know, it's really, it's really about, we look at it like you need toolage that includes our tools and other tools. We're, we're, We're not, you know, tons of other tools out there that we recommend and partner with and recommend, but you need guidance, you need help, and you don't just need it once. Like, God. So many startups are like, oh, I just can't wait to get this done, and then check, it's done, it's over. It's like, it's like you can't go eat kale smoothies with protein in them and work out like a maniac every day for three months, get a six pack, and then go back to drinking beer and laying on your ass and, and eating pizza, right? Like, Darren, you got a practice,
2: right? I have a question because yeah, we share ahead. some similarities in so much that <laughs> um, I too have and continue to. To uh, to sell to people that have no money, namely startups. Uh, they're not my only customer, but um, you know, in, in, a, in a different venture, they are my primary customer. Um, kind of psychographically, though, what what does the what does the person look like that comes to you and understands that, like, of course, I don't just have to do it once because because what you, you've already described some of the reasons why a lot of, of of startups do only want to do it once. I've got a runway, and I got burn. And I can't afford to use that burn to protect something that might happen. And it's not that it won't happen, right? Like, it might happen today. It might happen tomorrow. That is, I might lose a deal because I don't have security or I might incur a breach. Like, those things might happen. But I will. I for certain will run out of cash if I don't sell, right? Like, you know, this pain, you, you, understand this struggle. Like, you, oh you, yeah, you, your blood <laughs> really beats this struggle, right? So like, so what is the person who sits across from you and goes, I get it, Darren. And, or, cause I understand there's an educational component to it. What, what do you, where do you start to help them get it? Yeah.
0: And it, it does vary from, from startup founder to startup founder. There's definitely, like, we have situations where people come in and they just don't understand it. And then we are able to help culture them and expose them to understanding it. But what I think really helps the most, and this is really how we look at the startups that we identify as being ideal customers, is like if you are selling in a regulated industry or you're selling to highly sophisticated customers and you have a web application and there's any data privacy, requirements, um, in there. I I think we're just at a time now where like, I don't have to, or my team doesn't have to educate people the need. They're getting scrutinized in every single deal. And, and so, you know, that's a, that's an interesting position to be in. And, and so like all of a sudden now in the founder's mind, even the founder who's like, we got 10 months runway, we've got to get our numbers up to here or we're not going to be able to raise. And then, you know, I don't think it, most of the founders aren't sitting around stressing about breaches. You'll get some that are, that that may be in, uh, maybe they've had experiences or close calls. Um, but most of the time it's like, this is a f- sales friction problem and and their metrics that both extend their runway and provide them what they need to raise their next round of funding are tied to sales metrics, right? So yeah. as soon as they experience data privacy and data security as a weakness from their sales perspective, it puts it into a different context. Um, and so you know, they come in the door looking at it like, hey, I need to fix this problem because it's a sales problem. And and sometimes there's that naivety where they haven't thought it out too much where they think they can just, you know, let's put some duct tape on this and move on. Right. But what does happen and I think what what I've seen happen is if I go back like when I first got into the space. I feel like you could go get a sock, too, and just be like, you know, here's my sock, too. Don't you know, no more questions. We got our sock, too. We're awesome. Right. I, I don't see that anymore as much, and I'm not saying that there's not a value in having a SOC two or another third party certification, but in a more sophisticated vendors enterprise, you know, enterprise organizations that may buy your SaaS product, they are, um, you know, there's this, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of not, a bit of talk going on in the industry about like the 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 SOC two from a bubblegum machine kind of concept, where like, you know, so many vendors have jumped into the top SOC two space. The ISCPA has done an amazing job. At making this a phenomenal reoccurring revenue for uh, you know their, their their CPAs, and there are firms out there that do extremely thorough uh, jobs, and there's some that do less thorough jobs, and I and you know also they have been struggling to find the talent to do their audits because the demand has grown successively. So you get you know you got people doing a SOC 2, covering your they're covering a web app they might not have the engineering expertise to really identify what's secure and what's not. So it gets a little cloudy. And what I see out there in the sophisticated vendors is they're like, great, thanks for sharing your SOC 2 and your security report. We'd like to schedule a call next week. And that's where they look you in the eyes in a Zoom call. And they ask you questions that you should be able to answer really quickly instead of being like, oh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we'll get back to you on that one. you know. So we see a lot of that now. and And I, and I think that's that's the kind of experiences that startup founders are having or sales teams are having or engineering teams are having where they realize, okay, this is not going away. And we cannot just do the autopilot checkbox BS approach to this. We need to actually do it. We need to have the ability for our key stakeholders and our team to be able to jump into a conversation, talk to a sophisticated third-party risk assessor and be able to articulate with competency that we are a trustworthy, secure company that respects data privacy.
2: Those SOC 2, those bubblegum SOC 2s are, um, I don't know if, if, if that conversation, it's certainly in my circles, unfortunately, I don't think it comes up enough. I, I will sometimes reference the unfortunate kind of events that that befold, uh, you know, like capital one, um, in their AWS environments, right? Like your sock two is just not going to do anything for you from a third party risk perspective. Like it doesn't do, it's not going to stop those things from happening. Now, of course, they're, they're going to be able to, well, it's not supposed to stop. It's just another layer. Like, of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. But, um, I, am inclined to agree with you. SOC two became too much of a, uh, a get out of jail free card to just pass, go and collect more money. Um, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's fascinating, um, Cam. I did that thing again. I haven't done it in a while, but I did it today. But I blame Darren. I
1: my- yeah, let's blame Darren. He's the what guest. What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> he even, I don't even know what's going on here. <laughs> hey, I, I, I do this a lot. I, I like to go back. Um, you were talking about. I'm a I'm, I'm a musician too. I'm, I'm not. I did music back in the day. Recorded albums, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> So I'm curious you were talking about when you guys were doing a lot of um I didn't understand I I kind of maybe mixed it up but you were talking about Coachella and all those things were you playing at those events No this was Or were you was that when your company one of your first startups
0: Yeah so my playing career ended in 2008 um I started that company in that year and then started working with the bigger festivals more around 2013 2014
1: So you said you—that's when you started to notice privacy problems. What can you give some examples of what kind of? Because I don't even know if you were looking for those things in in the first place, but what what kind of examples? I mean, we saw we we saw. uh, I mean,
0: I I would I I was always worried about breaches because like every like. Festivals are a high target, right? It's like you know, maybe not a financially high target, but it's definitely a bragging rights hack uh, sort of scenario. And like you know, every year this happens. I think it's like Coachella lineup leaked, right? Uh, Bonnaroo mm-hmm. lineup leaked, and like oh man, every time I'd see a news release like that come out, I'd be like throw up in my mouth. I'm like oh god, I hope we didn't have, I hope oh, we didn't have anything know, to I do just with that.
2: Assumed, I assume I assume that was just industry shenanigans. Like someone I leaked think, it, You're no, telling no. me that those are hacks.
0: So, okay. So I don't like, I'm not, I'm, I agree. I have the same sentiment that you just expressed, which I think some of that's hype. I think there's cases where that may happen. I have never Mm. knowingly Mm. seen a deliberate accidental quote unquote hat or, you know, release of the data. Um, But, you know, I I could see where the, I, I can totally understand the, the business proposition of, um, you know, creating such an event. So I would assume therefore that it has happened historically somewhere, but what Close. I ha- I have seen cases where the tech stack um, has been um, the release, what happens is like you, you, you book all these, you book all of these acts, right. And you, and a lot of times in your contracts, you're going to have situations where like, you're not allowed to announce this until X, right. Cause they may have like some proximity clause and some other performance and they're not allowed to, you know, mm-hmm. so it does create problems, for a festival when, you know, hey, uh, you know, we just, you know, you're not supposed to announce Beyonce until the end of February. And all of a sudden in December, somebody's like, you know, it's on TMZ, Beyonce's playing Coachella. It's like, there are, there are repercussions for those situations on a corporate and legal level, potentially. Right. So, um, but, you know, I, I remember once I, you know, I'm not going to mention any names associated, but there was a one major festival that had its lineup leaked. Definitely a hundred percent, not on purpose. Um, and, what was terrifying for me was like all the data that was leaked was data that was in our database. So I'm like, shit, like it's probably us. Like we are a source. It's like a good, but then it ended up being an integrate a partner we integrated with that was a, you know, not our partner per se, but another vendor that the festival had chose, and we populated data into an environment, and that environment had was populating data to mobile phones and somehow some wires got crossed and anybody who had last year's festival app got this year's on disclosed, um, lineup. And, you know, so things like Mm -hmm. that. Right. And I think, you know, funny enough, like uh, there's, there's a bunch of situations that I've experienced where there has been a data breach and, and, and both in my own experience in past companies, but also with customers. And to be quite honest, like most of the data breaches that I see that involves a, Startups, which are generally more obscure, so they're not like your Capital One or your Walmart or your like big corporation that, that may have like a you know a more funded organization with a higher priority target, uh, you know, attached to them. A lot of times, what I see in breaches is just like a developer shipping crap code on a Friday afternoon, tipping out the door to go have some beers with his buds. Maybe they cut some corners on QA, and all of a sudden, like, oh no. Like people are seeing, th- why did this data set get exposed? And so like, you know, I've seen a lot of those accidental things happen, right? Where, um, you know, breaches happen accidentally, but, you know, whether it's accidentally or from a nefarious user or, or you know, somebody with a malicious intent, the damage can still be, you know, the
1: same essentially, right? So
0: yeah, I went on a bit of a rant there,
1: but um, yeah. No, you're good. Do you have any, um, do you have any juicy stories? From the road and Dude. all those events, anything <laughs> you don't have to name anything in particular, but oh, man. any uh, anything you can remember that stands out the most, crazy stuff, crazy. A lot of there's a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, Burning
0: Man itself, I guess, is crazy. Just just <laughs> being at Burning Man, even if nothing out of the ordinary from Burning Man's definition of ordinary is pretty. I uh, first time going there was super rad. Um, oh yeah, and the second time was too. Um, and you know kind of neat about it is like for Burning Man because they used our technology to manage like you know it's a very different environment it's a very it's a very hard this is one of the challenges of the festivals like this, de- deploying web technology in the middle of the desert wow <laughs> yeah it, it's outages right like I think for me like. the the most stressful experiences at festivals was like, I don't know, there's like a, I think there's like a, or at least there was in the you know, in the 2014-2018 range it's like an outage of some sort, like maybe it's some guy digging a trench with a tractor and he rips through I've had, you know, was that a festival where that happened? Burning Man is just, just it's an unnatural location to try to Operate an event. So you know, we we started building in redundancies, like having small servers that could sync with the cloud. And then if the if it loses its sync with the cloud, there's still like an up. There's an operational buffer and things like that, right? I think yeah. what was coolest about Burning Man, though, was like when I went to Burning Man, it was like I got to witness the build of Burning Man because a lot of the stuff that our technology was doing was actually facilitating and you know helping some of the operations of the build. So. You know, watching cool. it start from like a couple yeah, of thousand, yeah. you know, watching it build and like the artisans coming up and, you know, being able to walk around and watching these structures, watching the man be built and That's things cool. like that was was super rad, right? And then my second year, I I, I was there for, for watching it all get taken down, which is a little bit more depressing than watching it build. Uh, everyone's sad, you know, they've been doing hard drugs for, for two weeks straight now and they're like... <laughs> baked and sunburnt and like weathered from the from the the desert right so it's a it was less exciting than the build but still really interesting how you see this like immaculate sort of flat like old ancient lake bed go from like flat nothing to this crazy big you know um city in in, in world essentially to like then watching it get all packed away and like you know dismantled dismantled back to just this you know ancient
2: lake bed again. That's what I call defcon every year. It's uh it's my burning man. It's... <laughs> you hey, a cheesy
1: been... joke here, but do you think do you think that someone on drugs created that name and was like burning man? It's <laughs> I should burning know this. I feel <laughs> like
0: because Burning Man didn't start didn't start up in the desert up there. It actually started somewhere in California. I believe on the beach. Yeah. Wasn't
1: was Burning Man the one where they did the um I know we're getting way off Squirrel here, but wasn't there, like, a Netflix... No, we, are, we,
2: are, we are accurately on Squirrel, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but what wasn't there, like, a big documentary that was huge called, like, Fiery or... Uh, something about like the someone that conned someone in the festivals and made like a bunch of money f- with all these artists and stuff. Wasn't that Burning Man? Fire, no, 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 that's no, you're no, talking about the Fire the Festival. That's, yeah, the that's the, the one Fire, that like, Man. oh, it's actually called Fire Festival. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's a huge disaster.
0: That's like one yeah. of those ones like, Yeah. We talked to those guys actually. I'm so glad they weren't a customer. Like you don't Fucking you When you're like when your tool is like, "Hey, we help you manage your festival efficiency." You want <laughs> officially, you have nothing to do with those guys. Oh, um, yeah, I know. That, that, that was should a, be
2: that should be in your marketing material. We did not help them. We,
0: we weren't proud of this <laughs> one. Yeah.
2: Someone else helped them. We won't tell you who, but if you make the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is what
0: this is what not choosing us looks like. Right. <laughs> right. Ooh, there we go. Yeah.
1: Okay, so so in depth, Darren. If we go back to the situation where you guys had the, <clears throat> where you lost that deal, right? Um, I think that was a turning point in your career. Um, what's one thing that you learned from it that you implement now today when it comes to coming up to that kind of situation? Maybe you. I don't think you dove into that, but I'm just curious. Um, what's one thing you can take from that experience? Um, and thank you for sharing that. Not, not a lot of people would ever, ever share things like that. So like I losing, losing a, the biggest opportunity in your is Yeah. Career. But yeah. that's, I mean, that's just like <laughs> in anything else you got to fail yeah. to be better at something or to get better.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. I think the first thing we learned is you just can't fake this stuff, right? Like it, it's, 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 yeah. it's, you gotta do it. And so like for us, it was like, the learning, the first learning was like, we really need to do this and we need to do it really well, not just minimal MVP. I I say this to startups all the time. When you're doing the least amount you need to, to comply with something, that is a very strong message of how many shits you give about this topic. You're literally trying to just like skate by, right? So, you know, for us, it was really giving, you know, having a sense of this needs to be legit we need to we need to say we care about this we need to actually mean it and we actually need to have our actions speak lo- lo- uh, you know louder than the words the other learning you know i think my co-founder and i kind of like at the time both of us felt very confident in our way and our ability to sort of like skate through and not i don't want to say bs our way through but like candy coat charm our way through and it's like, man, we met the, this this uh, third-party vendor team. These were not the people that were going to be responsive to this type of approach. And so, you know, trying to be elusive or trying to be, you know, not being being open, honest, and transparent uh, is a really bad situation, right? Or underplaying importance of things, right? And I would say this to our customers. I'm like, you know, I'll be talking to a customer like, well, I don't really know why I need to do all this stuff. We're on AWS. I'm like, Don't ever say that to one of your customers ever. If you have a conversation with an actual person who knows this domain expertise and is, and they're looking at you and they're analyzing and assessing your posture. And you say a statement like that, that is just like all trust. They're like, okay, this person does not understand the responsibilities. And that's even more like if you can come forward and say, look, you know, we're not where we need to be. This is where we need to be. This is where we are now. This is the journey we're on. That's a transparent, open statement. You're saying, look, We know we're a young company, but we can make a commitment to you that by time X, when this deal closes, we'll be here. And by here, we'll be there. And that usually works, helping you get to a place where you can service that customer. But when you try Mm -hmm. to be elusive or you're not transparent or you say statements even worse, you know, defensiveness. Well, I don't really know why we need to do this. We're on AWS and they cover bubble. Like you're just writing yourself off, right? Like you're just pulling yourself out of that deal. And I see, I think we we definitely did like I I wish I had a recording of that because I'm sure it's the same stuff that I hear my, you know, some of our more naive customers where I'm like, dude, everything you just said, never say it ever again. Because you're just without picking
2: on a customer. Because I, I mean not to, but but I do mean to, however, help others that might make similar mistakes what might be the most naive thing you've heard and i use the word naive very intentionally versus you know pure ignorance or, or or just you know willful ignorance but naive like what what is what strikes you as something that you just would like here's this knowledge you're just going to give it away for free because everyone just needs to know yeah. this
0: so what I just said to you is one of them, like like saying, "Hey, where were the you know?" Are, or I've even seen customers like when they're asked for a sock two, they'll go download AWS's sock two and send them AWS's sock two. I was like, "No, don't do that." Your your the, your customer knows that AWS has a sock two. And if they were concerned about that, or they were looking for AWS's sock two, they would not be asking you for it. Um. So yeah, I think I think like saying like you know. Uh, I've also heard a lot of startups say like, oh, you know, we're just a young startup. Like this is not, you know, this is, that's bad too. Because like, honestly, what you're doing is you're saying like, you don't think the privacy your customer is important or the data, you know, security of your customer is important because of your size. It's like, well, from your customer's perspective, honestly, they don't care how big or small you are. They just care, about, like, especially the risk assessors, they're only there to do one thing. Like, how is this, you know, what are the risks associated with using this vendor? black and white. Right. So, you know, that, that's a naive, uh, line of conversation that I, that I see organizations, uh, go, go about. And it's like, I see
1: that too. I see yeah. that all the time with customers, check, check boxes. Yeah. That term comes up. I've heard them even use it.
0: Yeah. We checked all I'm the boxes. Just like,
1: you, you gotta be kidding me that. And, and, and I know that it's, it's getting better. It is. It, yeah. It's getting better. They're they're understanding, and it's usually probably through experience
2: of. No. Can uh, I be Can I be cynical? I don't think it is getting better. Right? Here is why: because the, the, the types of folks that are inclined to simply check boxes, um, they, they 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 fit a certain type of profile, if you would. Right? Like, um, but either way, which is to say, they they're, they're not interested in in doing that right thing. Um, right, they exist, and they will continue yeah, to exist. They do. They, they do. will always they will. exist. They will. They will always exist. They yeah, probably do they, in
0: other parts they, of life as well, right? They're cutting corners. Absolutely, right? that's right. That's They're exactly right. That's
2: exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. No, look, I, I, I say that. Um, Anyone who takes offense to, to, to being called a corner cutter because I didn't call anyone a corner cutter is probably thinking to themselves, why did he call me a corner cutter? Because maybe you could cut some corners. But yeah. yeah, if you will, if you're inclined to just check a box in that one aspect of security, then I'm almost certain that the rest of your business and your product experiences yeah. similar decision-making factors as well. Too, that's just how it is.
0: Yeah, and, and I, you know, know, I'm
2: not talking about trading off. I'm not talking about trade-offs. I'm talking about pure co- corner put-
0: When I put my startup founder hat on, like, there's also, like, this is where it gets tough and where I can, like, relate to the customers. Like, we kind of have to cut some corners to build a startup successfully. And, like, because the reality is, right, you're making this big, grandiose
2: promise, and you're held accountable. Can I – do you really have to, quote, cut corners, or are we just using that word broadly? Because there are lots of trade offs that we certainly have to make. But I don't know that you trade off security. You could, for example, not have, you know, I'm just going to make some stuff up an API that is publicly open or some way, right? Or, or, or privacy. You could not collect certain types of data, right? Like you can, but, but a lot of organizations are, are trading off. Well, we really want all that data so that we can sell more, so we can get it right. And, and so they trade off those concerns. I don't know that it's yeah. cutting
0: corners. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. So I guess, I guess it's like you're, if you're, if you're completely neglecting security, then you're cutting corners. I think right. there's a place for startups to take a, you know, do, do regular risk assessments because your situation changes, right? It, it could be as simple as like, Hey, if we do this deal with Netflix, it's going to mean X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. Our obscurity, like our, our degree of support, obscurity changes like you know it's funny like every time you know i see this in startups all the time like they're most startups are relatively obscure and so like they're not on the radar to get hacked but then they do their series a press release and it gets picked up in TechCrunch, and now they've just blasted out of obscurity to now be more visible to a target and so like even when you're doing a big press release like that and something, like, is changing in the obscurity level of your business, I always recommend customers should – that's a good opportunity to – you need to have your posture grow with that. And that could be, like, direct announcements for you or it also could be just the fact that, like, you know, for for us, for example, when we were selling to all these small little ma and pa festivals around Atlantic Canada, I would I would argue there was a degree of Obscurity. But the minute it was announced that we were the vendor that managed, you know, componentry of the back end of say Coachella, then then that changes everything. So now Coachella is a potential target. And so now, you know, if if you're if you're a hacker, put a hacker hat on and you're like, okay, well, let's do some reconnaissance and like how do we hack Coachella? Well, you know, let's see what all what are all the younger startups that, you know, probably don't have the sophistication. Let's find the weak links. Right. So, you know, I, th- I think like, you know, I think security, I-, I think you're cutting corners if you neglect it. I think that you can knowledgeably looking at your situation, where's, this, where's your product, what data you collect? what risks what threats etc i think but i but this is where and this is where most startups fail they just don't think about it and if you wait and this is what we did in the last company is like you build a whole company You design a system, you architect it, you write all your code. There's 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 very little to no consideration of secure development practices or secure architecture. And what you end up with is an accumulation of thousands and thousands of lines of code that have both technical and security debt in them. So now, what you've actually created for yourself is that you have. It's harder to fix that problem than had you. Implemented some very basic foundational security by design, privacy by design early on instead of cutting corners, and and, and you, you know thoughtfully made decisions with security and privacy in your product versus like, and this was the big problem we had. We couldn't just fix the security vulnerabilities that were that were found by by the story that I was telling you about losing this big opportunity to steal. It was it was a time commitment to fix that, and and in fact we spent about eighteen months where a a, a significant portion of our product and software development resources were refactoring and cleaning up crap corner cutting in our code and our architecture when we were under the spotlight of being the big player in the space and getting you know feedback from customers going like you know you guys are really slow we're asking you for new stuff and it's taking you forever but you can't come back and say oh well we're cleaning up all the crappy things you don't know about like so you know like like and this is the pain point like and i think founders like like really confident founders That are really believing in their business and know they're on to something good are not sitting there like you know deer in headlights worrying about running out of cash in ten months. They're 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 worrying about what do I need to do that when I make that next round I'm still I'm still propelling success right and and building out a giant code base or product that's like that is just riveted with technical and security debt. You're setting you're just you're just stretching out the journey and the size of your failure moment.
2: Totally, totally, Darren. This has been awesome. Look, we we have one more segment, but before we jump into that last segment, uh, anything else you'd like to leave our our guests with?
0: I I I, I don't know, man. I, every question you ask, I feel like well, I go on
1: like a, a ten minute tangent. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> no, you 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 don't have to do that. I can give you a question actually. Since All right. I was actually going to naturally roll into this, but let's say you let's say you have. Hundred dollars, cheap budget. Hundred dollars, what would you start with with your privacy or security stack? What's the first thing you would do for okay. that startup? So,
0: first of all, I think a hundred dollars is both the same as zero dollars in in today's world. But you know, I guess let's just say you don't have enough money to buy. Like hundred dollars is not really going to buy you, or at least not that I'm aware. of. I'm not aware of any credible tools that that you would buy with a hundred dollars. But if I only had a hundred dollars of, you know, I would spend that hundred dollars taking the leader of the company and putting them through the process of understanding what information security and data privacy is, how it applies to their business today and how it's gonna apply to their business in the future. So bringing them through that exercise of understanding who do you sell to today? What do you do for them? What's that look like in 12 months? What's that look like in three years? And educating them so that they understand exactly what that means. And they start thinking about that at the top of the business so that they're not being reactive. And therefore, they can start including that in budget. They can include that in board meetings. They can start culturing their investors and board members to understand the importance of why. Actual allocation of time and energy and budget has to progressively be included in the building and growth and go to market strategy. I think for a small yeah. company, that is absolutely the most. I think like. You know, it's, we, uh, I remember the first time I did a security assessment, I'm like, I look at, like, some consultants charge a lot of money to do security assessments. I'm, honestly, I feel like, you know what, give me the CEO of the company, and I'll let me talk to him for 15 minutes. And I can tell you if they have a good security program or not. It's And, and, and I bet you that my accuracy on that will be really high. Because when they don't care, or they don't know, or they don't, they're not part of it, and it's not prioritized, some basic questions, I can tell you, look, man. They may have a developer that writes good code. Their CTO might be really good at configuring their AWS environment. But this organization doesn't actually have a top-down prioritized security objective. There's no mission statement that includes security. It's not being spoken at the board. Meeting, So, you know, it just takes somebody to just find the holes. They're there. There may be areas, Mm -hmm. like I say, where somebody has taken initiative. Maybe they're using a password management tool. Maybe they have, you know, they're being diligent around multi-factor. They probably have good things in place in certain places, but there's definitely holes if it's not defined and not understood at the top. So I think, you know, that's where... That's where I would take. I would go find the course. If there's a $100 course out there or a $100 session with somebody mm-hmm. or whatever that looks like to get that, it starts there. If the CEO doesn't care, nobody cares. And, you, and this, you know, even talking to my I have friends that work in enterprise cybersecurity, and they say the same thing. It's like, well, you know, IT is like smashing their heads off the wall trying to do this because they're trying to tell employees not to walk away with your screen wide open, go down and have lunch across the street and leave everything open. And then what does the CEO mm-hmm. do? That! So like, you know, and, and again, it's that thing like CEOs need to understand or leadership in a business needs to understand like there's you can say anything you want, but if you don't walk that walk, then it's just meaningless, right? So if that's the way Absolutely. the leadership is, the organization is doomed. And when they're thinking about, oh, that's IT's problem, doomed. Absolutely do, you know, so, so that's where I would, I would put the emphasis there. And I think if you do that part, right. And if you can get that engagement and that prioritization and that thought and planning at the top, then all the other components will fill in place.
1: Yeah, that's a great answer. I would say it always starts from the top. It's always, it trickles down. It's, I mean, that example has to be set um, because that's kind of how, everybody else will flow. I mean, they're going to be good employees that do their thing and they, they're going to probably understand better, but definitely starts from the top. If you want to have um, just the right attitude for the entire company, for sure. 100%. Um, all right. So last section here. Um, I think we lost Gabe, but that's okay. So this is our fun question section. This is actually, I call it deep, dark secrets which is kind of funny because we're privacy please, but uh, we don't have to get too, too, too personal, but um, during, this has been a a really fun question um, in my opinion, but uh, what is, what is your uh, toilet paper situation at the house uh, look like for you guys? Do you, do you grab the, the roll from the top or is it, are you a bottom person? Definitely. How do you have that?
0: I go bottom. Oh, Okay. I just find it hangs better. It's more you can kind of, yeah, definitely go that way. Okay. I mean, look, Straight I'm not, answer. I love if, it. If somebody puts it on the other way, I'm, I'm not going to be like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm turning this. Oh man, me. I got to flip I'll this. I'll cope with it. <laughs> I'll cope with it. But if I'm doing it, I'm putting it on the bottom.
1: Okay. All right. Favorite TV show right now?
0: Favorite TV show, right? See, it's it's just summer, man. Like, I'm in Canada. It's like it's like daylight to like ten o'clock at night. I don't even. I watch TV in the winter, and I never watch
1: TV in the summer. So, um, what's the last thing you watch? What's the last series? What's the
0: last series we watched? Um, Letter Kenny. Okay. Do you know what that is? Yep, that's Canadian one. Yeah, it's super I've heard. Silly. I've heard
1: some good things about it. I hope it's super, super silly. But it's, it's super well, silly, funny.
0: It's like you know, if you're looking for that, like not intense, absolutely brainless, like you know, last thing you think about before you go to before you go upstairs to bed. Uh, I, I
1: recommend it. Is it kind of like? Is it kind of like My Name Is Earl,
0: type of See, comedy? I don't even know what that is, so I can't answer that. Oh, okay,
1: I never watched that too much, but I it reminds me of that. Either that or the trailer park boys seems like that There's kind of another
0: Canadian one for you. In fact, the trailer park boys, um, they're, uh, they're Nova Scotia. So that's, uh, you know, they're only a couple oh, hours from go. where I am same province. And I didn't uh, know that actually I know. Um, so bubbles, bubbles used to play in a band. Uh, bubbles is a former music guy. And I know, uh, their manager actually, who's also a music manager and uh, ran a record label and, and managed acts for a very long time and is a drummer himself actually. So small world. I, oh, cool. I know some of those folks.
1: That's awesome. What, um, w- during that, that stint in the, the music industry, did you, um, <clears throat> did you ever come across any of your favorite bands or musicians or artists? Did you ever get to meet them?
0: So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think one, one of the coolest experiences, um, I used to be a good, a big fan of the Violent Femmes. You're familiar with the Violet Femmes? I don't think so. So, um, Gord Gano, um, lead singer, uh, based out of New York City. Actually, I got to produce, uh, I got to work on a couple of records with him. I did some production and engineering on, on two records that I did with him. So I think nice. it's like, got to meet him on like, you know, bud level, right? Um, now, obviously, like like in the festival years when I was going to all like when I was working with like Coachella and Bonnaroo and all these big festivals, uh, got to see tons like just like almost all of my favorite acts growing up, which was really cool. Um, yeah. I never meet them because it's almost like when you're when you're working a when you're working in the event space and you're like more on the tech side, it's super inappropriate to be like walk up and be like oh my god I love you guys like so can I get a picture so like. I've been, like, watching shows standing next to, like, Clint Eastwood and, like, you know, Brad Cooper and, like, you know, ACDC and, like, uh, all the, like, really high-profile folks. And you're just standing there pretending, like, you know, it's just some random person next to you because that's, like, the etiquette and the expectation when you have that sort of privilege access, uh, you know in the festival. And it's funny because my wife would be doing, my wife would be in my ear. Like, cause my, I'm the kind of person too, that like, I don't really, I'm not really, I'm not really as enamored by, by famous people. Um, and it might well, be just, just
1: people like us, right?
0: Yeah. There's people, right. My wife is a little more enamored by them. She'd be in my ear. Like, Oh my God, that's Bradley Hooper. And I'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Like I didn't even notice her. That's Katy Perry. Like, yeah. You know, um, and what's funny is I always found it funny because you're standing, like once you realize you're standing around those people and you look around, it's like everyone's taking pictures, right? So I'm like, oh, this is funny. I hope some of so my friends see me in this picture, stand there with like all these, you know, famous people. That's <laughs> yeah, funny. But, but yeah, no, uh, you know, definitely uh, like I've been around tons and tons of, of famous folks over the years, but always like always really respected that etiquette because like, for me, the, yeah. my, my credibility in my space and my industry was super important. And like, as soon as you are seen doing that, like it, 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 in you know, as a as a tech provider in that space, it's it's uh, yeah, it's not a great uh, credibility play.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that <clears throat> most famous people that get that kind of attention, or it's got to come to a point where it's just Ugh. annoying, or it just you know, they actually appreciate the ones that, that I, don't do that to them. And, that.
0: and especially now, like, I just feel like paparazzi and all that stuff is just so out of hand. Like I just, yeah. you know, I, I just, uh, yeah. Lay back and relax. And, uh, you know, if I don't think things, I'd ever like,
1: want to be famous man to not be able to go to the grocery store and just like, be like, I, could, I don't know yeah. if I can handle Get
0: it. Me rich without famous. Have a that. There's, yeah. <laughs> I've actually, yeah, it's live funny. On a
1: ranch somewhere in Montana.
0: I've had some, like, we we went on, uh, Coachella did this SS Coachella cruise one time, right, where they, like, rented, like, uh, released, like, a giant high-end cruise ship and, like, had a music festival on the cruise ship. Really funny. Super funny experience. Like, all of the the cruise ship staff are, like, used to, like, you know, seniors getting up and doing, like, Pilates at 5 in the morning and having an early breakfast, like, and here you have this, like. You know, you have this like electronic music festival instead, and you got all these young, fairly wealthy people, and it's like just the staff didn't know what to do. People were getting up at like two thirty, three o'clock, looking for breakfast, and like people are up, you know, um, very late at night, like you know, falling downstairs and yeah, crazy stuff. But like I, I had like I had a friend, one of my employees that was with me, and this is a person who knows that space really well, like much more than I did. And I you know, there's there was a day that I was like sitting in the pool talking to a couple of guys, like, you know, just not talking about music, had no idea who they were. And I don't remember who they are now, but I remember my friend coming up after I was like, Oh my God, you just talked to those guys for like thirty minutes. You know who that is? And I'm like, you know, the the only reason they probably like talking to me for thirty minutes is because I didn't know who they were. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. wow, this is what it's like to it's not be, to be a normal human. This guy doesn't know who we are. <laughs> awesome. I'll hang out with this guy. That's true.
1: Yeah. What, um, last question here, um, oh man, I just blacked out of it. I wanted to ask you, oh, if, uh, is there one application on your phone that you have to use, but you absolutely hate? Oh God.
0: To narrow that down (laughs) to one. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I don't work on my phone much, to be honest. I would say like text and Slack and email are basically the only three things I really use to work on my phone. And I don't hate any of those generally. Um, I mean, email can be frustrating, but I won't blame that on the vendor. I'll blame that on all the spam crap and the fact that I'm on my emails on a lot of lists. Um, And once it's out, you can't bring it back. Right. So, um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, And I, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, there's, there's definitely, I think like in my personal life, I'm also, I I volunteer with the Canada coast guard as a coast guard auxiliary. So like, you know, I, I, I'll go out and rescue people that are having a very, um, unfortunate incident at sea Mm -hmm. and and I'll use my own boat and, um, do that with a small crew of other trained individuals. Um, there's definitely some Marine apps that I use where I'm like, I don't know what it is about the Marine industry, but, uh, yeah, they just haven't adopted the, uh, the user interface norms of, uh, Uh. a lot of the techie world that I spend more of my, you know, my professional time in. So they can be really frustrating. And my favorite is when they make an update and you can't use a feature and then you're like, uh, this is horrible, but yeah, no, I, I, I try, I try my best to because I spend so much time, like you know, I work on my laptop, I like the big screens and, and you know, all that stuff. I'm, I'm almost 50. So, you know, my, my eyes don't really want to spend too much time reading hyper small text on my phone. I try to spend my <laughs> time fair. not working, not being in front of a, a, a screen and, and try to spend my time outside and in nature and gardening and things like that. Yeah.
1: It's one of the reasons why I kind of want to get away from Florida. I'd love to, I love going out West. I love the mountains. I love hiking and all that kind of stuff. It's really fun. Yeah. It's just more, it's more of a normal thing out there. You know, I mean, you have places here, but it's not, it's not even close or the same, but, uh, well, Darren, uh, pleasure having you on pleasure meeting you. We appreciate your, you know, your open story about your, your past and and how you got to where you are. It's, it's, it's awesome to hear. It's, it's so funny. Like we, we talk to so many different guests and everybody's story is so different. This is definitely another different one and uh, really appreciate what you're, what you're trying to do for organizations um, around security and privacy. That's why we have this podcast. It's super important. So I hope the listeners enjoyed, enjoyed this show and, um, again just thanks thanks for coming on. Awesome well thanks for having me. I've totally enjoyed our conversation and uh, I'm
0: sure we'll cross paths again at some other point in the future.
1: Absolutely We'll see uh, we'll see you next time. Awesome take care Hey you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again. If this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.